Living Room Conversations enable people to come together through their social networks as friends and their friends to engage in a self-guided conversation on an agreed-upon topic. Typically, the conversations have self-identified co-hosts who hold differing views, and they may or may not be from different ethnic groups, socioeconomic backgrounds, or political parties. Get the idea. EHOST invites two of their friends to join the conversation, and participants follow an easy-to-use format that offers structure and a set of questions for getting acquainted with each other and each other's viewpoints. Conversations we find foster new relationships, and they often reveal surprising common ground. The vision for Living Room Conversations is a world in which people who have fundamental differences of opinion and backgrounds work together with respect and even joy to realize the vibrant future we all desire. Living Room Conversations are special because people agree to follow six simple ground rules. It's all stuff we learned in kindergarten, but here's a real quick reminder. Number one, be curious and open to learning. Number two, show respect and suspend judgment. Number three, look for common ground. Number four, be authentic and welcome that from others. Number five, be purposeful and to the point. And number six, own and guide the conversation. So basically, no soapboxing, listen well, and be authentic. And if you look for common ground, people often find it. Enjoy your very own Living Room Conversation. Welcome to Living Room Conversations, our first simulcast Facebook Live and Coffee Party Blog Talk radio show today. So if you want to catch the video of us, go to Facebook and go to Living Room Conversations. Otherwise, stay listening on Blog Talk Radio through Coffee Party Radio Network and enjoy the conversation today. Jacob, you're going to lead us today, so I'm turning it over to you. All right, what a week. Oh. The presidential election brought attention to our political system and our differences. Now we need to restore relationships around our shared hopes and dreams to get our country focused on the work of governing. But how exactly will we do this? This conversation allows us to start exploring what's next, whether we feel elated or defeated, whatever our differences, insisting on finding deeper unities we can rest upon and defend. So no matter what your feelings are about this election, and it runs the gamut from despair to elation, as, as we've all seen, intention in this call is really to make space to do this together as a team and to invite you to consider trying something similar in your own homes, your own neighborhoods. And the participants on, on this conversation today, we've been doing this together for a while. So we are going to go through a living room conversation slightly differently than happens usually normally. In a living room conversation where people are meeting together for the first time, we spend a while just talking more broadly about where people are coming from and their hopes and dreams for the country and what makes them tick. I'd like to propose that this little team who knows each other pretty well, that we turn more quickly to some of the questions at hand about the election. But first, let's go around and allow people to introduce yourself to whoever's listening in and share maybe just one reason that you wanted to prioritize this conversation today. What draws you to this conversation? And I wanna propose that as we do this, we're gonna go in alphabetical order starting with Debbie Lynn. Uh, hi, everybody. Uh, Facebook Live, we actually are, we have over 30 people watching us right now, so thank you all for being with us. And uh, I'm Debbie Lynn Molyneux. I'm the managing partner for Living Room Conversations. I have a couple of other roles in the world as well with Bridge Alliance and Coffee Party USA. And wow, uh, I'm prioritizing this conversation today because I'm still trying to process what happened on Tuesday and how it really wasn't at all what I expected and looking forward to finding out more about how we can increase uh, both the civility in our country, but also make sure that instead of just transferring our fear of survival from one, from half of our country to the other half of our country, that we come up with a better solution so that four years from now, we're not sitting in the same place. Anyone, I would like us to all be much happier. Uh, so with that, I'm, uh, I'm in the conversation. Thank you, Debbie Lynn. Katie, I think you, Come next alphabetically, I'm pretty darn sure. My name is Katie Page. I'm in Denver, Colorado. I'm 23. And 
I am executive administrative partner for Living Room Conversations, and I also wear a couple of different hats as well. I mean, wow, it just sometimes it feels like there's so much to be said right now and, and nothing at all. I mean, that, that's how I'm feeling a little bit. It's overwhelming. I mean, social media is just, it's crazy right now. And there's so much disagreement. When we look at the popular vote, there's really just 200,000 people that split our nation. Our nation is half and half right now. And I also want to say that as a country, we have the longest standing history of peaceful transitions to power. So we, we have the longest history of that. And I don't want to see that change this election. I'm in with that. Thank you, Katie. Mary? Hey, everyone. I'm Mary Gaylord, and I am in Superior, Colorado, right outside of Boulder. And I am a program development partner for Living Room Conversations. And I've been looking forward to this conversation for weeks, even before I knew what I thought I knew was going to be the election results, which uh, proved very much otherwise. And I take such comfort from talking to this group because I learned so much and the learning comes because we, we trust each other and we've, we've uh, taken some time to develop relationships with each other. So I feel like it's a really great opportunity for me to speak my piece and to really hear other people and to really be open to learning um, what other people are thinking and feeling. And opportunity keeps coming to mind with regard to this election, how I'm shocked, I'm stunned, and I think there's incredible opportunity. It's kind of like a, a rebirth, a possibility of rebirth, I think. It's messy, and I'm not sure what we just gave birth to, but I think we're going to figure it out. So I'm in with that. Thank you, Mary. My name's Jacob. I didn't introduce myself. I've really had the treat of being a partner with Living Room Conversations for over a year. I got involved in this work when I was a conservative Mormon boy going out to graduate school in a liberal program in Illinois and fell in love with the liberal uh, friends and colleagues I had. I was a never Trump Republican and discouraging people from voting for him. And it incredulous to believe that so many did. And I've been heartened by the tone of Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama's speeches yesterday, and also seeing our democracy in action and how the transition of power happens peacefully. Because my intention today is, I feel like I need to hear from Joan and Mary and Katie and others who identify as progressive, their feelings. I've had my own sort of disappointment, and there are aspects of what a President Trump will do that I, I will be happy with. So I share my sorrow for different reasons than others. But I, my intention today is to really hear out some of what has come up for these progressive colleagues, not all progressive, <laughs> that we are all so diverse. I really want to understand what your feelings and thoughts are. So Joan, and then John. I think Joan comes before John, please. <laughs> okay. Well, as a founder of Move On and Moms Rising, this election has been really hard on my good friends <laughs> and myself. It, you know, there's, uh, it's a grieving process. And what makes me happy is this pra practice of living room conversations. I feel like I have more hope and feeling of purpose, having this breadth of friendships and having, you know, knowing that others care that I am this upset actually makes a difference too. That it's, it's uh, that makes, makes me feel more able to take it forward. And I'm, I am looking forward to this conversation today and look forward to hearing what John has to say. <laughs> okay, I'll take it up and save Jacob the introduction. Uh, I'm John Gable. I am founder of All Sides um, and actually technologist, but before that, a Republican who worked in political campaigns um, in the 80s. And I'm here. Partly kind of what I, why we started All Sides is really want to help us as a nation and me as myself understand people in different bubbles. I 
I think it's interesting how um, for how badly you everybody who feels badly about the election day recognize that if it went the other way, there'd be other people who felt just as badly as you, and for good reasons, um, not all bad reasons. And we have had a peaceful transfer of power. We have had people stand up and say we need a change. And I, I want to kind of console people, understand where they're coming from. And I feel that since one of the strong Trump supporters is going to be a call, could make it last moment, I'm going to try to also bring out that point of view as much as possible. Because I think it's important for us to understand that we, all, we do all want the best for the country. And that's what we need to think about. So with that, thank you, Jacob. Thank you, John. For those who are listening in or watching, this is our ninth living room conversation together. So what you'll be seeing is sort of a, a more mature evolution where a great deal of affection, respect, and knowledge of each other. We've done this together. And my experience has been as you sit in conversation longer with people, it just goes deeper and gets richer. It was evident in the introductions that we also disagree about all sorts of things. The members of this team don't see eye to eye about many, many things, including this election. So that's one of the powerful aspects of living room conversation. With people in your own neighborhood, our recommendation would be to go through spending more time with the rounds one and two, talk about your experience outside of the topic and kind of getting to know each other. When I did this with Mormons and their gay neighbors, everybody was nervous when we started. That will happen for you probably. Invite somebody who disagrees with you to be your co-host. We're not nervous together because we've done this and we, we joke and smoke all the time. So we're gonna dive right in to the, the question at hand. When you do a conversation, you can decide what are the questions we really wanna get into and select those that you think will be most meaningful for your group. So all this is very organic and can be applied to your context in your own situation. Does someone have the questions in front of you? I have them here, but I don't wanna hear my voice too much. If someone would like to read the questions. I'm happy to read them, Jacob. Be great, Joan. So round three, what are your hopes and concerns now? Remember that the goal for this living room conversation is for all of us to listen and learn about where we have different opinions and where we have shared interests, intentions, and goals. Answer one or more of the following questions. How do you feel and what do you think about the election now that it's over? Have any of your close relationships been harmed due to politics this year? What happened? How open are you and your friends to hearing different perspectives to reach a shared goal? Will you reach out to repair relationships that have been harmed? What will you do first? What would you like our elected representatives to work on first? So those are our questions for today. Those are intended to kind of seed a conversation. And if, if something else comes up for you that you'd like to share from this week, not wanting you to feel constrained, like, oh, I gotta answer one of those five. The intention of those questions in the third round is to kind of give people a starting point. And let's start again from the top with Debbie Lynn and moving on just alphabetically through giving everybody a chance to share. Great, thanks, Jacob. I think that it's, I'm trying to think of if any relationship has been irreparably harmed, which I think is different than just harmed. And I know, for instance, I, I actually shared, have shared this with a few people. I, I've had trouble talking about the election with my partner, Sam, um, because he is kind of a Bernie or bust guy and uh, did not vote for Hillary, has, has his own objectives and reasons for why he didn't want Trump, but he couldn't vote for Hillary either. And he kind of felt in that stuck place, but it was so hard to talk to him that anytime I just said Hillary, it, it was like this whole train of baggage came up. And we've made an agreement since the election to just be really gentle with each other so that we, we actually get, uh, stop and listen more actually is what we're doing. We're being gentle, but we're also listening more and just having more space for each other and more grace. I do have some friends who are Trump supporters and they seem kind of smug right now. And they're kind of like, well, what are you complaining about? You know, we just stood up for freedom, democracy won. 
And that, it, so this is part of where I talked, when I talked earlier about, you know, the fear of survival um, just got transferred from one half of the country to the other half of the country. It's not just physical survival that I'm talking about, but ideological survival. And I'm looking forward to what we do next together. And for me, it's about looking for how, how do we define freedom and prosperity as a nation now? And how can we have those conversations about what we all want for our future, not just this or that, but maybe both and? And I'll pause there. Thank you, Debbie Lynn. Katie, would you like to go next? I, none of my close personal relationships have been irreparably harmed. I will say that I think some acquaintances that I have run into are having some problems. And once again, this fighting on Facebook thing, I ha tend to take the bait sometimes, and that has definitely harmed some acquaintance relationships. I also have had some problems with, with one of my, my roommates. We have butted heads in the past on some particular subjects, and we kind of just like, agree to disagree. I do think there are some major fundamental differences happening here. I don't think that means we can't work together, but there is a lot of hate happening right now, and I'm still trying to work my way. How I fit into this right now with Donald Trump's policies, the ones that will help, or I see helping our nation, let's, let's work with him on the policies that I believe will obstruct our rights as humans, women, immigrants, I will fight tooth and nail on that. And that is, is how I feel. So I will, I will start with that. Thanks, Katie. Mary? I've seen some painful fractures in relationship in my family. My mother, who's 83 and, and you know, has some kind of light use of Facebook, didn't really un understand when she put a comment on a cousin's Facebook page. She is conservative and he's conservative. And she was sharing kind of a, a sentiment about when that particular cousin said he, he could no longer um, support Trump. And a third cousin weighed in and attacked my mom. And it was really painful to see. I mean, he cut and paste, pasted the most foul of the, the things that we heard from the tape of Donald Trump on the bus. He cut and pasted those words and put them on my 83-year-old mother's Facebook time, time feed. And she, she, was, she was confused. She was mortified. She was hurt, and my father quickly, you know, unfriended this very dear family member who we've been close to for decades, and that was really painful to watch, and then, you know, I have four brothers, and they all say, you know, well, what are we going to do to, you know, kind of defend mom's honor, and I'm like, well, I don't think we do anything right now. I mean, there's no point in engaging when somebody wants to fight, unless you want to fight. Um, and I just see a lot of that energy in this election. I, I know I told a few of you the other night when I dropped my ballot off, there was a guy, seemed friendly, approachable, and he says, who are you voting for? And I, I was kind of taken aback that he was so bold, and I, I just kind of turned it back on him. I said, well, who are you voting for? He said, I'm a Trump guy. I said, that's, I said, that's great. I said, a lot of my... Uh, the dearest people in, in my life are supporting Trump. I said, you know, I'm not, but I'm glad you're out voting. And I said, I'm wondering what's going to happen tomorrow. And he said, well, bring some marshmallows for toasting. And I was just really stunned and uncomfortable. And I didn't vote for Donald Trump. And I, I've got to say that I was almost, well, I'm, I'm not thrilled with the outcome. I was almost more scared of the alternative. If he didn't, if he didn't win the election, um, what might erupt? And, but then again, I've just given examples of both sides really being very attacking and bully-ish and threatening. And, you know, the first incident between two people who love each other. It just, I, I'm just bewildered and saddened and uncertain how we get out of this because there's a lot of this going on right now and I 
it makes me very uncomfortable. That marshmallows comment, some sort of insinuation to possible fires burning if he loses, that sort of thing? That's my interpretation. That if, if his candidate didn't win, he's going to go set something on fire. I heard similar things. Thank you, Mary. Now those, those listening, again, I, I, I like to pause and just point out what we're doing because this is not just about the topic we're engaged in. You'll notice that we're just sort of going around and giving an opportunity for everyone to talk without a whole lot of back and forth. Feels a little bit more like a 12-step meeting than... <laughs> Well, we are detoxing, right? <laughs> There's a rule in 12-step meetings, you don't have cross-talk. You don't like go back and forth and give each other advice. This is not that, but we try to make space in this third round for just like a pure share of whatever's coming up. And if there are clarifying questions like, what about the marshmallows? So it's always appropriate to clarify, but we try to make space for just a real uh, clean sharing in the third round. And then more questions can come up later on. So for my turn, been sitting with feelings of some of my friends. I had an email from one friend who said she wept and wept the night of the election and she kept crying the day after. Mary, this is not an emotionally volatile friend. <laughs> she does amazing work in dialogue and deliberation and she was wondering what this means for her work to have someone that had clearly honed the art of the insult and weaponized language to sort of political ends, having someone like that uh, win the, the biggest prize and, and be up in front of our nation for a lot more time. It was really fearsome to her. I've also thought of you, Joan, honestly. I, um, you know, his promise to just get out of treaties uh, a walk away from climate change stuff. Ever since I started talking to you about climate change and a few others, I've come away, even though I don't see climate in the same way you do, I have taken away a sense of how deeply, how, how real the fear is that if we don't act, do something about it, that we are going to be in some intense, some really serious trouble and on a very <laughs> existential level, right? And one of the things that I do take away from conversations like that is I carry that feeling with me. If I care about you and others who are doing climate work, then even if I don't share all the beliefs about climate, I, I have to care about what you're feeling. And so I was, I was thinking about what this day was like for you, hearing that some of the, something you care about so deeply is going to be sort of torn to shreds and that one of my buddies said, if we don't act in the next couple of years, we're toast. I'm not, I'm not saying everybody feels that way about climate change. Those are feelings that are not at the same level of intensity and disappointment and sorrow I have about the election. And I've just been wondering about what that has been like and, and not sure what to do about it. Not, not feeling like I need to like send you a card or, or like try to make it all go away. Cause it's not going to go away. It's here. This is a moment. And I, I just felt like I wanted you to know and others to know that I was kind of sensing that heaviness and the pain that this must have been. I, for my own self, I will just say the, the silver lining on the cloud for me is that the division in our country is not just between liberals and conservatives for me. It is between those who care about more generous conversation and those who, could, who care less. And there are conservatives and progressives who, who think, and like Joan, this kind of work is a source of huge optimism for me. And I see people across all disagreements caring about this coming together. That's my, that's, that's also where I get a lot of hope. So Joan, your turn. Thank you, Jacob. Uh, this, this group really has held us in a really good way when things have been hard. I don't want to be where we are today or where we were midway in this election cycle four years from now. Four years from now, I want us to have candidates running for election that the majority of Americans can accept as good leaders. 
when they are elected. So even if it's not the person I voted for, I can accept them as people of integrity that I would respect in the top leadership role in the country. And I want the person that I, I voted for to have that same respect. I feel like the separation of our communities into increasingly homogenous groups where we are agreeing with each other all the time has allowed us to not care about those other people in a way that is deeply destructive. And the living room conversations are one incredible tool for starting to heal that. And there are many other wonderful tools out there that I think we need to be investing in them all because I am appalled by how this election has gone. And I, I am, I'm, I'm deeply fearful uh, about what this presidency is going to produce. I have, I have so many friends that are fearful. I am less fearful because of the relationships I have are outside of my progressive friends. And I try to tap that and share that and you know, we'll continue to do so. Um, but it's a, it's a big, big job. It's going to take a lot of us. This is a movement, a movement to heal relationships. You know, having the Episcopal Church take the living room conversations and run with it because we have to love our neighbor makes me hope that it can, you know, find its home in faith communities on the right and the left around the country. And, you know, that there will be many different ways, but right now, today, it's uh, a long way to go. And yes, I hope that we are able to uh, have a conversation that the media, John will go into the media for us, will help reduce this divisiveness too. And I. I don't see that happening really soon. So I, I'm, I believe in the grassroots, hence this work. And I will leave it to John to close us out for this round. Thanks, Joan. I've, I want to first of all give kudos to Katie, who pointed out the policies we agree with will support, the policies we will agree with will fight against. And I think that's fantastic. I, I have not lost any friends in San Francisco because um, in my neighborhood, we don't talk politics which is horrifying. I, I came from an environment where we talk left, center, right, and I have a lot of friends all across the board. Um, I, I know from signs here that people would be very angry if I even thought that. Um, I, I wasn't a big Trump supporter myself. I could totally see why you'd vote for him. And oddly, I, I was like, my thing I cared the most about was the Republicans holding the Senate because I was afraid that we, we'd have a, a problem policy-wise if that didn't happen. But I actually felt in a weird way relieved because of fears that I share with some of the Trump people. And I think I need to describe that to help everybody understand. So it's a little bit um, different. But at the end of the day, I actually think this is a difficult place for a lot of people right now. And I think it's actually a good place because we, I'm not sure if it would have been good if we had a whole 50% of the country. We're always split 50-50 after every election, very close to that to uh, continue not be heard and be criticized and put down upon. And that's why they were so motivated to vote and won the election. The, I think that would have led to more problems. I do think that the core problem is the society one, as we're using technology and interacting differently, that we aren't allowing inappropriate conversation. And when we do have those conversations, we're not having them in a way that begins the heart or listens so that you can have those conversations. Just like a, a um, married couple, if one person's not allowed to speak forever, when they finally do, it comes down the worst possible way. That's what I think has happened in this election, that um, anybody who, who said that they were concerned, uh, may, maybe climate change is true, I actually think climate's a concern, but 
if I even bring it up, you think I'm horrible and awful because I want to protect people who are getting losing their jobs as a result of the policies you're doing, the carte blanche. It's like, no, you're evil. You, you're anti-science. Or if they say, you know what, it concerns us that Clinton um, was saying how you know people need to change their cultural and religious beliefs. There needs to be a change like that, which she, she did say, or she refers to a whole batch of people as deplorables. That that's somehow acceptable. Both candidates blew it badly in terms of of turning people against each other. Both candidates thought it was the best way to win. But society is the one that is having some riots now. Society is the ones that are treating people worse than the candidates did online and Facebook now. The problem is not the politicians, it's us. They're following and reflecting us, in fact, not as badly as a lot of us are behaving. We need to reach out with living room conversations other ways so we can actually hear each other. I'm concerned about um, the state of public conversation to a great extent, and I'm, and that, that's why we're here doing what we're doing. But it's, it's though policies matter a great deal, our ability to govern ourselves has to do with the ability to live with each other. And America's always been a more complex country because we are a diverse country. Um, in background, ethnic, cultural, and that's our strength as well. And so we need to focus on that and not get caught up. Um, Katie mentioned how she ca ca gets, um, takes the bait. We all do occasionally. And we need to find a way to get past that. So when you're feeling the worst possible thing about the other side, do you think that somebody's going to come to your door and take away your property? which a lot of Republicans think about in terms of the overreach of the government to say we could do this or that. People, progressive, not shave their head saying no. But then when progressives say, oh, I'm afraid we're going to lose our freedoms because of Trump, conservatives say no, and conservatives say, yeah, I'm really scared. We're both concerned about same, uh, different freedoms. So let's not take debate. Let's not believe the worst. Let's not follow the press that takes advantage of out of the 300 million people in this country. We can take the worst case of the worst right and the worst case of the worst left and make us all feel that that's what everybody's like. That's not what everybody's like. And whether it is or not, we can do a little better. So I'm, I'm, I hope that's helpful. Um, I, I did feel a kind of a weird relief because I felt this growing pent up anger of a huge segment of our country that has not been hurt. And um, if they lost, they would continually be spoken to, but not really heard. And the fact that it came out loudly simply because we as an institution the last eight years, 16 years, have failed to listen to this group of people who need help. And so time to listen, time to make changes. There you go. Odd, but there you go. John, you remind me of, um, I read an article yesterday that actually came out last month. It's on a website called Cracked, C-R-A-C-K apostrophe D. Uh, it's talking about why half of America has gone effing crazy. And it was talking exactly about what you're bringing up right now, about that half of the country, you know, primarily the middle of America, that feels condescended to by the entertainment industry and uh, the, the so-called liberal elite and the establishment of the GOP and not heard for what their needs are uh, and the results of the uh, government policies on their lives. And uh, it was uh, a very interesting article for me and, and I can, so I under, I grok what you're saying. We're gonna take a quick break. So why don't you take a moment to stretch, get another cup of coffee and the Living Room Conversations. We'll be right back. Listen to Living Room Conversations where we put the personal back into interpersonal communications here on the Coffee Party USA radio network. Would anyone else like to ask something or share something. We've gone, we've done our first go around and uh, in about uh, five minutes, like to transition into our sort of wrap up, share anything else coming up, questions. Something I've been thinking about is uh, I am so out of touch with middle America is how I'm feeling. I mean, half of the country voted for Donald Trump and I just, I didn't see it coming. And I've obviously been trusting these polls too much. I mean, I just am still kind of confused. But truly, I'm just feeling so out of touch with so much of America. And I'm trying to figure out ways to 
tap back into how they're feeling. And I've kind of come to view Donald Trump as the Bernie Sanders of the Republican Party in terms of doing things different, going against the grain, speaking his mind, which I condone none of his behavior, but he did something different. And that's why Bernie had such a huge support from young people. And so I guess learning how to come from that perspective in this clarity moment after the fact has been important that there are a lot of people in this country that do not feel heard. And I don't think many of them are awful people and they were willing to put aside some very big issues to be heard, I guess. So that must be really saying something about how they're feeling because I don't think half of America are racist, misogynist, every other word. There's something else happening there. I agree. As much as I do want to say, half America sucks, as I, I do. But so I think we have a lot more to learn and more voices to be heard. Katie, I wanted to riff off of that and say there are many, many people in my neighborhood and life who were appalled at Donald Trump for many reasons and ended up voting for him for sort of like a, well, because of the Supreme Court or because of abortion or because this will, this will help with the economy or because we need to shake things up. So the sort of half the country's crazy, clearly there's a lot, it's a lot messier on the conservative side as well, where there's a lot of religious conservatives who feel the LGBT movement has got them in a corner and they are within years of just being, becoming the next KKK. <laughs> like the, if there's a, if there's a religious conservative impulse that led to this, it's that the progressive America has no room for them. That they're not going to be hired, that they're going to not even be a part of the conversation. And they were kind of, they grappled with this choice the whole time until the election booth. And many of them ended up voting for him. I did not. But many people I care about who are loving and love about America is like, well, at least one, one guy told me, at least Donald Trump has a chance of getting it right. I'm not sure Hillary does. Like he might end up doing something good for, for the stuff that we care about. It was sort of that. And I think there was a big segment of the conservative left that was like that. I wanna hear more from, from Joan, from Mary, before the last round. Mary? I have a question um, I wanted to ask you because I've been um, struggling with this. I don't view Trump as a conservative. And so I'm really confused that he got so much conservative support. I mean, I think he courted the conservatives because that's what was left. But knowing what I know of him and his lifestyle and the choices he's made and the things he does, he doesn't appear to me to be conservative. And I, and I wonder if he believes half of what he campaigned on or if he just said it because it was the opposite of what Hillary Clinton was saying. And so, you know, I, I feel like I was, I was explaining to my 10 year old the other day that for me, he's a wild card. Like, I don't really know what he's going to do. I know what he said in his campaign. And even some of the wild cardness is coming up these past couple of days in a good way. I mean, he made, I didn't listen to the whole thing, but he made what appeared to be a pretty gracious acceptance speech. I saw a little bit of footage today where he was in the White House and again, very gracious. And those are qualities I did not see in this man really that I can, I, can, I mean, the one, I remember the one moment in a debate where he said, Hillary Clinton is a very hard worker. And that was kind of one moment where he extended some sort of uh, graciousness. But I, I guess I've asked a lot of questions here, but I just, I'm confused because he doesn't appear to me to be a conservative. And if, if anyone can help me understand that, I'd appreciate it. I'm, I'm happy to take a shot at that. I, I think it's a mistake to think of all conservatives as social conservatives. Uh, Jacob's definitely a social conservative. My sister is. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not so much. Conservatives are a body politic that believes that um, people should have more freedom along the lines of the economy, along the lines of jobs, along the lines of self, uh, being empowered to do things for themselves. And a lot of what they see is the government growing 
more and more and taking away their freedoms and freedom to believe in what they want to believe. That gets the social conservative piece. So yeah, you can, um, and it's interesting, I think progressives think the same way, that they want to believe and, and live the way they want to. And they're concerned that the social conservatives would say, no, you can't do that. Social conservatives are concerned that the progressives say, no, you, you, you've got to promote abortion in your, or, or, or contraceptive in your church. And so that's why there's this social war. But a lot of it is about economic freedom and day-to-day freedom and the freedom to say what you believe as opposed to political correctness. So I think that um, progressives tend to say this political correctness is no big thing. For people on the conservative side, it's like you're, you're saying that we're not even allowed to be part of the conversation if we disagree with what you all say is what they say is correct. And can you imagine how progressives say you're not even allowed to talk about that? I mean, it was true in the past, in the history, when you weren't allowed to talk about gender differences or, or well, about uh, sexual preference differences. And that was a bad thing, a bad time, a lot of people would say. But that's how conservatives feel now, that they're not allowed to speak these ways, that they're not allowed to um, say that these rules hurt them or that they feel differently. And so they, they feel trapped. And that's not just social conservatism. That's, that's economics. I'm not allowed to open up a business without going through um, eight months of, of meaningless government paperwork that ma- just makes me lose money. That's a, a infliction on my freedom to live my own life. Those are very powerfully felt. Does that help at all, Mary? It, yes, it helps. It helps with one part of my question. But Debbie Lynn, I saw you wanted to say something too, so I'm, I'm happy to kind of listen and absorb more, but thank you, John. And I'm going to try and be really brief because I know we haven't heard from Joan yet. Um, you know, John, by your definition of fiscal conservative, I mean, I could be one because I believe in all those things too. And, you know, while I fiercely cling to my independence, I'm not a social conservative. And what I'm hearing behind all of this is this kind of this desire to be free to do what we want to do. And at the same time, wanting to be protected from the harm others could do us. Mm. And, and so I feel like that's kind of where, uh, you know, where we're dancing, you know, uh, you know, political correctness wasn't created to shut people up. It was created to keep people from being harmed by, you know, by words and deeds, uh, discrimination, uh, legislation, which some people see as an infringement on freedom was initially set up to be a protection. So how do we, you know, find that right balance between protection and freedom? And do we use the government to do it? Do we find more social norms? All right, I'm going to stop there because I could go on for a little while. Joan? Yeah, I've been sitting here musing about how nobody, how do we get running for office to be something that is a good thing to do that has a good impact that inspires people to you know speaks to our higher selves instead of tying into the divisiveness this election has been so much about the divisiveness and about what people don't want the dynamics of elections have made it so that you know most people wouldn't even run for office because it's such a miserable thing to do a lot of the people I would love to have as my leaders would not consider this job. That's a disaster for us. You know, and you know, John talking about how we don't even talk politics anymore. And that's why I want to flip this whole thing on its head. <laughs> I don't know how, but you know, this feels, this, what we're doing feels like a good first step. You know, I, can't see the path all the way, but it, you know, gives me a, it gives me personally a sense of making progress. Well, Joan, when you're ready to announce your campaign for the presidency, <laughs> organizing the conservative Mormons for Joan. <laughs> in all seriousness, Evan McMullen had $4,000 in the bank when he started his campaign. He had nothing. He's a nobody. And he's just like, hey, I think we should have another candidate. And a lot of people believe that's not possible. But I have good-hearted, thoughtful people. But the, the same goal you said, let's see them in four years. Let's 
let's have that conversation and talk about what, what, what would lead that to happen. And, and I was also touched that Hillary and, and Obama, they, they both talked about giving Donald a chance and like, let's, let's let him lead. And I, in my prayers, it's like, I hope that he can rise to the mantle and grow up a little and be present, you know, like, as we close with our last 10 minutes, I hope you noticed what Joan said right at the beginning of her remarks. She said, I've been sitting here musing, and again, coming back to the practice, as you sit and hear different things coming up, my experience of living room conversations has been, it's a very reflective practice where it's as much learning about your own feelings and thoughts as it is about everyone else. And so very much my takeaways are something that came up for me it's not something that somebody said, but some, some takeaway. So we're going to go into that now at the last 10 minutes, giving everyone a chance to go around. And there are different questions that we can ask to kind of see that, for instance, in, in one sentence, the most meaningful, valuable to you in the experience. What new understanding or common ground did you find within this topic? Does this conversation change your perception? Or one important thing that was accomplished here. So let's start with Debbie Lynn once more and uh, go one more time around, just kind of hearing any takeaways that you have. Well, I, I really like that through talking and uh, most importantly, listening with it to everybody today, that I could make more discernment about this freedom versus protection element that, are, that we're, we're constantly trying to work on. I've been really touched, uh, Katie, by your passion and wanting to uh you know fight for policies that that are going to be good for and beneficial for you and for your generation you know mary your, your stories about trump uh the trump trumpness in your family and the and the reaction to it is it's just been really really touching and and joan when you talk about you know i, I kind of flip my computer back because my yard sign is behind me here from the one time i ran for office 13 years ago and it was a miser. It was both a fabulous, wonderful, best experience I ever had, and a miserable process to go through. In that, you know, I was able to raise ten percent of the amount of money of the two established candidates, and all this kind of stuff. And and I really came to understand in that kind of trial by fire that our system right now is set up to reward selfish, sociopathic, narcissistic behavior. And the people who control the reward system is us. Because if we stop voting for that behavior, then we will get better candidates. If we stop expecting our candidates to be perfect and sub, you know, superhuman and stop putting them on pedestals, it helps us because then there's more of us who can see ourselves in those positions. And I really, really hope that Donald Trump becomes the Theodore Roosevelt of our century. You know, he was a really blustery guy that not a lot of people liked because he was there to shake up the system and and fight back against uh, the oligarchs and the unions that were strangling business. And he really wanted that just the common man to and woman, <laughs> but a hundred years ago it was a common man to to have uh, what he called a square deal and make the, the playing field level. And um, I'm now you know going to hope that a president-elect Trump dedicates himself to those same virtues. Katie? I have a saying that I say sometimes, which is, uh, you can't be in fear and faith at the same time. And I find myself, I'm just in a crazy, crazy fear. And I don't think a lot of that is unjustified. And I'm trying to figure out how to channel this into positive work and work that's going to unite us rather than divide us. And I have to have some form of hope and faith that everything is going to be fine or else I'm going to flip my lid, you guys. It's going to be ugly. So. Don't flip, um, Katie. Don't flip. I'm not, not going to flip. Meeting with this group has helped me so much in understanding different points of view, different life stories. I think we make our own realities with our perceptions. And it's clear that my reality is different than a lot of other people's realities. And damn, we just, we got to work together, you guys. This is so ugly. So ugly, bringing out some not not pretty traits in people and everybody really. So I'm hoping that we 
we can all work to be better. Thank you, Katie. Mary? You know, I was thinking, um, John and Jacob in particular, and Ralph, who's not with us today, but you guys are like my secret weapons because <laughs> you're such a source of perspective and information for me in a really safe and generous way. I can't, I can't have that same, or I haven't cultivated that same level of relationship with some other really conservative people in my lives. I mean, with my parents, it's the, you know, I love you no matter what, I love you no matter what, you know, and, and we kind of leave it at that. But I feel like, um, and I, I call the, the, the two of you out in particular, just because your perspectives are less similar to mine, at least from my point of view, than, than the ladies in the, in the group here. But it's such a gift. It is a real gift because you speak to me honestly and sincerely and with no agenda to convert me or uh, make me wrong. And so, you know, my takeaway today is just how incredibly grateful I am for that and that I hope other people can see the value in doing that. And, and you know, from the grassroots perspective that it grows because it needs to. And I think, I think everybody in this country is feeling some sort of pretty intense pain. And when, when people are in pain, they make a change. And so let's hope it's a good one. Thank you, Mary. Your comment made me emotional thinking about how as soon as this is over, I could call up any of you on the phone. And I could, I've had Debbie Lynn over to my house. I slept on Mary's couch. And I could talk with you about anything. And I would say the vast majority of my conservative friends and family simply do not have that opportunity with someone like you. And it just makes me think this we're doing right now, uh, really, you know, what, what would happen if most Americans had someone that they could call up for on the other side, that they could have a really, real honest, loving conversation and just ask questions, you know? Joan and I have been talking about climate change. And by the way, Joan, I think we should write that stuff that we've been talking about, like, soon, uh, as, as this is on people's minds and say, look, there's a, there's an invaluable common ground with them. Anyway, just thinking about that and uh, grateful for the work that we can do together. I don't think we should anticipate everyone in America embracing this. I think fears that you express, Katie, of, uh, of what can happen. We, ha we need to be prepared for hostility and animosity growing, even as more people grow hungry for this. I think both are gonna happen. And I think we need to be prepared to do the community building like this, of anyone who's hungry, for something else. And guess what? We're wringing their hands. We have something that can actually work. We have answers. This is an actual practice that works in a powerful way. So Joan and John, want to finish this off? Well, thinking of the common ground, I think, you know, we got a lot of, we, we have that long vision together, which is really makes me feel like, okay, you can do this. John, your comments about the, uh, the regulations being one of your obstacles reminded me that in my first conversation with Mark Meckler and his Tea Party friends, that was one thing, stupid regulations. I assure you, progressives do not like stupid regulations either. <laughs> we just need to get rid of them. We are complete, stupid government, good government is the concept, stupid government, Gone. Totally bad. <laughs> yeah, that's just one of those practical little things. Every now and then there's like something that is like, ah, we've got complete agreement here. Let's just do that and get it out of the way. It's just, yeah, the beauty of this practice is you kind of say, oh, here's, here's stuff we agree on. So finding the pathway together with this group is, makes me feel like we might actually do this. And I, I, doing this, I'm thinking about, we're located around the country. And I, you know, I hear people are not feeling connected in their very local places. I think we've got to figure out how to uh, help people do these video 
living room conversations as well as the in-person because breaking bread together is golden. But if, if you can't do that, this is pretty darn good. Mismatch.com, baby. That's right. Coming soon, 2017. <laughs> I love it. Uh, wow. I, um, I have some, some uh, things I didn't know before or understood before. I, um, it's interesting, Mary, when you mentioned the marshmallow comment, that's a, a comment I've heard after like football games. It never occurred to me that it was a threat of any kind. I thought it was kind of like a fun, boisterous, we won, you lose, we're going to have a party. Hearing you say, oh my gosh, that worries you, was like a little surprising to me. I actually chuckled when you first said it, and I realized everybody else in their pictures are like concerned about it. It's like, oh, but I am concerned about protests going on in my city and other places. And concerned that I'll get out of hand. And I suspect some progressives might say, that's just people being hurt. Don't worry about it. It's just what they do. It's okay. I mean, I'm concerned that some things will go wrong there or that they encourage more. I, I feel like they're protesting the natural order of government succession in America. If they don't agree, they're not for it. But I suspect I'd hear differently from there. So it's very interesting on the perspective where you're first hearing. And I hear about everybody all, it's like if you say Hillary, you, you get upset about how these people have all this baggage around Hillary. People are afraid to say they're going to talk for Trump because of all the baggage that people had about Trump. It's, it's, it's really remarkable. But I felt really both learning something and kind of excited on two other things. I was inspired by Debbie. I, I want to wait. When you said maybe Trump can be the Theodore Roosevelt of our time, that is an inspiring thought. And it is actually what many people who voted for Trump hoped for. And thought there was at least a possibility of. And the final thing is to connect it online. We are all around the country. I met Katie in person. I talked about this a lot in person for the first time just a couple of weeks ago. And I thought I'd known her for a long time and we never met each other. And the reality that we made real relationships online in this format with a structure around how to hear each other is incredibly important. Um, because the nation is really upset. We're all living online and creating groups of people we know online. Actually, I think solving it here is what the country needs even more than solving it in person in a way, because this is where our way that we've interacted as a society has changed, and we do much more interaction and building relationships online than we ever have. Um, so that's rekindles my desire to figure out how to do this for everybody and get people that empower people to have the great relationships that they want to have. Um, so I found it revealing and stunning and, and, and exciting and empowering. So thank you. And nobody had to fix a meal or, or clean the house. Yeah. I am hungry though. Yeah, me too. Oregon. <laughs> <laughs> Amen, Brother John. That was beautiful. Uh, this is a real rebellion right here. People want to join the rebellion, the movement? Yes, it's it. Just thanking everyone who tuned in and letting you know if you'd like to do something like this, it's as simple as going to our website at livingroomconversations.org and downloading some materials. We have guidance and suggestions for lots of different topics, the guidelines, and before we leave today, just thanking everybody who joined us. Katie, I want to know, you know, with, with, you can call any of us on this call. And I hope take this message of like, yeah, we can do this differently. Wherever we are, other people who cannot do that, who don't have someone to call and are just boiling in their resentment or their pain or their anger or their fear. You know, those dark emotions can take over people. I've got a, I've got a friend who's completely unhinged about this. And I, <laughs> I worry about him hurting someone or hurting themselves. So let's, that's what we can do. Joan's going to fly to Utah this weekend and share with us. Progressives invading Utah. <laughs> I'm only one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so we don't have to put up, people don't have to be afraid. It's okay. <laughs> Probably not. I'm not very scary. <laughs> Her presidential campaign tomorrow in Salt Lake City. Just kidding. Kick off. Start it. Kick it off. <laughs> um, 
have a great uh, have a great or a tolerable rest of your week. Know that we're holding, you know, this conversation continues as we end. For everybody on Coffee Party Radio Network, thanks for listening. Have a great day. Thank you for listening. This has been Living Room Conversations, courtesy of Coffee Party USA Radio. You can learn more at coffeepartyusa.com. And make sure to click on that big red button that says become a member. Coffee Party USA is 100% volunteer and member supported. That's you. So thanks for listening. Make it a great day.